once or twice a week, uh, Catherine and I try and FaceTime with our with our grandchildren. Uh, it's not as good as being there, but it's 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 definitely uh, 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 better than nothing. Um, and, and typically, we'll just kind of touch base. We'll see how things are going, and then they'll want us to either read a story, and we show them the the story that we're reading, or uh, they'll also they, they also like us to tell them a story, to make up a story. And typically, the stories will start off with something like, "Once upon a time, our oldest grandson's name is is Caleb, and the next one is Weston. Uh, uh, Grayson, the 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 newborn, it, it doesn't really follow the stories too much. Um, and, and so we'll say, "Once upon a time, there were two little boys, Balaam and Beston." And we'll just change around the names just a little bit, and then we'll tell them some sort of kind of uh, fairy tale like story. And to keep them engaged, uh, we'll throw, I do this more than Catherine, you would know our personalities, uh, um, I'll throw some twists in and, and, uh, uh, and, and just some unexpected things and then the kids will kind of look, what did you say, Pops? And, uh, and then we can kind of continue on with the story. Well, our text for today comes from the book of Judges. And um, the story comes at a time, the book of Judges comes at a time, that would be ripe in Israel's history for these once-upon-a-time kinds of stories. Um, today we're going to talk about Israel's fourth judge uh, and the importance of this particular judge is noted because of the numerous unexpected things that happened in the text. Um, the text is told, the story is told in chapter 4, but then it's repeated in a poem or a song in chapter 5. Um, but the, perhaps the biggest twist is that the judge that, that God is raising up, the leader that God is raising up, is a woman in a overwhelmingly uh, patriarchal society, men-led society, uh, God raises up a woman. And then the real twist is that the real heroine or hero of the story, human person uh, after God, is also a, a woman. So, so the story could, um, could go something like this. Once upon a time there was a wicked king who had a fierce general who had 900 chariots. Life was hard for the poor folk that had to live in that land. But three people came to rescue them. The, four, the first was a woman judge who sat under a tree. The second was a soldier who won a battle in the middle of a thunderstorm. And the third was a woman with a mallet and a tent peg. <laughs> well, our, our text comes from Judges chapter 4. And oddly enough, the headlines of God appoints a woman judge... It would have made headlines in that time. It's not too off from headlines that we would read today. First female general manager of a major league professional baseball team appointed. First vice female vice president. First time and record numbers of females and women as congressmen entering into Congress in this upcoming year. You know, it's hard to believe that some hundred years ago, women didn't even have the right to vote. I think the first uh, uh, woman in Congress was back in 1916, 1917, something like that. 
And in a hundred years, now we've come to a point where record numbers are being included in that uh, uh, those elections. And so, on the one hand, this is an ancient story, but on the other hand, it's still a story that resonates with us because of the unexpected twists and turns that we would expect today. Our text comes from Judges chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 7, but the story is really all of the chapter chapter and goes into chapter 5. For the last year, and we'll continue doing so, but our texts for the sermons have come from what's called the uh, Revised Common Lectionary. A lectionary is simply a program of reading through uh, uh, scriptures and texts from the Bible. And, and it's a series of texts in an order that many churches throughout the world follow, and we've been following that. And so for this particular text, the actual reading is verses 1 through 7, which will appear on the screen, which you'll do in just a second. But the story is much longer, and they didn't include the entire story because it would be uh, a bit long to read and to work through in, in one Sunday. So I'm going to kind of narrow it down and summarize it a bit. The book of Judges comes after the death of Moses and the death of Joshua, and it comes before there is the first king named in Israel. This is a time of significant transition and chaos, and there are a lot of rough uh, uh, rough edges that are getting worked out. The Israelites have moved into the, the land of promise, and God has led the way in providing the places and the cities and the, the, the homes that they should occupy but as they enter into a time of prosperity and peace, then they get lax and lazy and they begin looking at gods of the Canaanites and the gods of the people that surrounded them. And the book of Judges explains that because of their falling away and going after other gods, their lack of faithfulness to the Lord, that the Lord, the Lord allows their enemies to come and defeat them again and again. And every time that happens, after a limited time of oppression, God hears their cries as they cry out for rescue, and then he will go in and raise up a leader, a judge, who will then serve as a military uh, uh, legislative uh, leader in their country. But then after the judge dies, whoever it is, then the people fall back into their old ways. And they would actually behave worse than their ancestors, the scriptures tell us. I think it's important to see that in spite of their rebelliousness, in spite of their sin, in spite of their lack of faithfulness, uh, uh, every time God hears their cries, he responds. And every new deliverance is kind of like a new exodus where they're under oppression and God hears their cries and he raises a deliverer, a judge, a leader to raise that, to, to help them escape from that oppression. The, the language in today's story, and I encourage you to read through all of Judges 4 and 5, but the language is very similar to the language of the exodus um, the 900 chariots of, of, of the enemy, uh, um, the, those chariots as they're chasing the people of Israel and pursuing and oppressing them, uh, um, are, are, get stuck in, in mud because of a rainstorm that happens suddenly out of season. And then God 
achieves the victory for his people. Judges chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 says, After Ehud, who was the previous judge, died, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Haban of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in um, this particular city. Sisera had 900 iron chariots and ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. When things got good, (laughs) Israel got bad. They should have celebrated their prosperity by honoring their God who made this prosperity possible, but actually they became lax and they got careless. And they did that which was evil in the sight of Jehovah. Their unfaithfulness manifested itself in numerous ways, but the most common and the most prevalent was that they would worship these pagan gods. When times were good, Israel forgot God. And when times turned sour, they turned to God for help. So in response to their plea, God raises up a leader, a deliverer, a judge. And her name is Deborah, verses 4 through 7. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. The rest of the chapter describes that battle and those 900 iron chariots and the sudden thunderstorm and the chariots getting bogged down in mud. Deborah is one of the more remarkable people to come out of this 350-year period of the judges. She's the first prophet since Moses' day and one of only three women who are named as prophet in the Old Testament. You've got Miriam, Huldah, and then as Isaiah's wife. In the Song of Deborah, which we find in chapter 5, she is named the Mother of Israel suggesting that she gave Israel life and nurture that they needed at a time when they were facing uh, any number of different difficulties. She lived in the south, but the battle was in the north, and so she called Barak a military leader so that he could then wage the war. And the words that she speaks are from God himself. She is the mouthpiece or the voice piece or the messenger of God's word. Well, what's interesting is in chapter 8 and verses 8 and following, when Barak hears this message, this word of the Lord to go and fight this battle, Barak says, I'm not going. 
And he says to Deborah, unless you go with me, I'm not going. But if you go, then I'll go. It almost sounds, and some commentators kind of take the angle that, yeah, sounds like he's scared. And he needs Deborah, a woman, to go along with him. But, but I think it's rather a picture of Deborah representing God's presence. She is the spokesperson for God. And so with her goes God's presence, and he didn't want to enter into a battle without her by his side, without her being present by his side. And so then she responds, and she says, yes, okay, I'm going to go with you. But, as a bit of a reprimand, because you thought about this and had to ask for additional affirmation and confirmation, the honor of killing your enemy leader is not going to be for you. It's actually going to go to a woman. As we're reading the story, we think, oh, well, that's probably Deborah, that she's going to one, she's going to be the one to have that honor. But actually, as you read through, that honor goes to a different woman, a woman named J.L., now, Jael is an interesting choice for God to, to make of a heroine in this story. She's mo most likely a non-Israelite. Uh, the text tells us that she's a tent woman. She lives in a tent. Remember, the people of Israel had lived in tents for years, and they had been looked down upon because they didn't have the stability, and they didn't have the roots as uh, uh, people who lived in towns and cities, and once they moved into the land of Canaan, one of the blessings that came from occupying that space was they would be able to settle down and have buildings that they could live out of, homes that had brick and mortar. But this is a tent woman, a nomad, and she's the one God uses to bring about this victory in the death of the enemy leader. The text also gives us a couple hints that this was part of God's protecting his people from undue oppression and undue abuse. We read earlier that Sisera was ruthlessly oppressing the people. doesn't explain all that that means, but we've seen and we are all too familiar what that means mistreating men and abusing sexually the women. And there's an indication of that in chapter 5 where it says that each man would have at least two women on his side as he would take the best and the youngest of the Israelite women for himself. And so this is painted more as a self-defense than a murder and, and, and the text kind of gives us another clue that that's the way the narrator is going. When in chapter 5, verse 24, she is called Jael, this non-Israelite tent woman, is called most blessed among women. Does that language sound familiar? Most blessed among women. 
It might make you think of that time when Elizabeth saw Mary, her cousin, who was pregnant with Jesus at the time. And as Mary entered, Elizabeth exclaims, Blessed are you among women for the life that you bear in your body. And so we see that God is elevating this particular non-Israelite woman to a place of prominence in the story of Israel because of how she was willing to be used. And so let me just kind of suggest three talking points about uh, 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 what we can do with this story. I think first and foremost, we understand and realize that this story is about God's compassion. God hears us when we cry, when we get ourselves in trouble, when we mess up. And even if it's our own fault, he sends help. Time and time again, God has demonstrated that he will not give up on his people. So no matter what your situation is today, whether it's because of your own doing or just the circumstances of life around you, When you cry to God, he will hear. He will hold you accountable. He doesn't let you do as you want. But he will respond out of his compassion. Second thing is that God uses us as his instruments. All through scripture, the Bible tells us that God has chosen the weaker things in life to be his instruments. Outcasts, marginalized, immigrants, women, slaves. And we see this in God using, first of all, Deborah to be the judge, and then secondly, Jael to be the one who brings down the mighty Sisera. And he continues to work in that same way today. He wants to use us, and we have the choice. Do I go or do I stay? Do I accept the calling of whatever it is God's calling me to? You know, very few of us ever feel that we're adequate to the task. We most feel that, I just don't know that I can do that. I don't know if I have the faith. I don't know if I have the resources. I definitely have a history, and I don't know whether I'm the best one. But regardless of whether we feel gifted or not, if we feel that tug, if we feel God calling us and motivating us and moving us towards action, we have to respond. When we don't trust God to lead us in these ways, we miss out on an opportunity, not only for others who need help, but for us to grow and to be blessed by God working in us and through us. You know, this afternoon and maybe yesterday, some of you might have spent some time watching a football game on TV, your favorite college, your alma mater, your favorite team. Well, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Uh, Christianity, there's no room for us to be on the sidelines. We're on the field. And when God calls us, we respond. And this week, we'll have an opportunity. You know... When we're together, and when we've been together, every Sunday we would pass the plates. And kids could see their parents putting in money 
And I don't know whether kids are ever tempted to grab some out. But they see their parents putting in money and the parents will either encourage their children to take from their piggy bank or will give them something so they can also participate. Well, now that we've been in this pandemic, I don't know that kids ever see parents giving money because it's done on a computer or on a phone or with a check. So, so this week, sit down with your children and explain what's happening. Show them age-appropriate pictures of flooding houses underwater and explain that we're going to take some food from our pantry. We're going to go to Publix or, or Sedanos or wherever we go. We're going to purchase a couple things and we're going to drop them off at the building. We're going to give some money to the church so that they can help these people. God is calling us. He has blessed us. South Florida has been spared this year up to this point. And the thousands of dollars we might have spent on fixing our own homes or fixing our fences or doing repairs can now be given to help those who really don't have the resources that we might have. We can be God's instruments. The last word comes from the last phrase in Deborah's song. She says, may those who love you, O God, rise like the sun with all of its power. Did you enjoy seeing the sun yesterday and this morning? Like a long lost friend, right? After this last week of cloud and rain. We are to shine like the sun. We are to be that light. And so we can thank God for his deliverance and how he rescued us. We can thank God that he has given us the opportunity to be his servants, his instruments. And we can also thank God that he calls us to be his light. We are the light bearers. We reflect God's goodness. And we are the ones who can then point people to God as we go through our lives. Our our prayer is that this week you will have an opportunity to throw some unexpected twists into your story. That you can choose to bless someone who isn't expecting it. That you can choose to shine a light into a dark corner that might not have been looking for it. That you can choose to be that instrument that God wants to use. May God bless your week. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday for our Blessed to be a Blessing.